John chapter 10. I've been praying a lot about the message this morning. It's one we don't we don't preach an awful lot on this topic specifically, and sometimes around this time of year, occasionally some churches will deal with it uh, in a whole message or a whole sermon. But I want us to look at several things today. In John chapter number 10, I want to start in verse number 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Father, we pray that you'll bless the message. And Lord, you know my heart, you know the burden of it, and I pray that you would help there not to be a hindrance this morning in being able to bring across the message that you would have for the hour. And in spite of the the frailty and the callousness of speech that I can give, I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work that I cannot do. Lord, we love this whole story. But the truth is, Lord, if it's going to do a work in someone's heart, then it has to be something that you do. And I pray that you would do it this morning. If you're going to encourage Christians and stir us to a spirit of revival, then, Lord, you're going to have to do it. If there's someone here today that needs to trust you as their Savior, they've never had the time or the place where they've made a decision to receive the free gift of eternal life by trusting you. I pray that you would help that to take place today. Or that your Holy Spirit would have absolute, free, and complete reign in this service to do as he would see fit. I pray that you'll bless the teaching, preaching of your word, that it will bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've noticed here in the last several years of life, uh, as I go along, that there are a lot of people who don't have time for God. They don't care for His Word. And when you talk to them, you, you get a sense that they have a bad attitude about God. They, they feel that God came to be judgmental of them. God came to, to um, condemn them and to to call them sinners and tell them that they needed to, um, that, they, that they're uh, on their way to hell. And can I tell you this, while God makes sure that He points that out to us, I want you to know that He's not the cause of it. We were the cause of it. We're the ones that made our choice to be sinners. And the Bible tells us quite clearly, and I want us to look at this this morning, because I think even among God's people we've gotten this out of out of uh, priority, I think, in sharing the gospel with folks. And that is this, that God's desire in coming to this earth was not to condemn men. It wasn't to bring bad news that they were on their way to hell. Men already understood this fact. They already knew it. The thing that God wanted to express when He came to this earth was His undying love for mankind. And He says here in verse number 10, He says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And He says, But I have come 
that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Can I tell you this? For some reason, our world that we live in has, has turned that around. They, they've said that Christ is the one that's come to destroy and to kill and to steal. But can I tell you this? The Bible is still true. And He didn't come to steal and to kill and to destroy. He didn't come to, to make man feel horrible about um, the, the fact that, uh, or to bring judgment to them and say that they are sinners. The judgment had been passed long ago. God gave man a choice over 6,000 years ago. And man made his choice. We're born sinners. We're born with the sin nature in us. And we begin to, as we get to a point where we understand the difference between right and wrong, we choose willingly to sin. Because we have a broken nature. We have something inside of us that's broken. It's already done. It's already there. It's not something we have to do. And God says, listen, there's something that needs to be fixed in man. I want to come so that they can have life again. I want to come and bring them something that they cannot do on their own. Look with me, if you will, in John chapter number 3, just back a few pages. You see so many times that people hang up posters at sporting events or large public venues with John 3.16 on it. And if we're not careful, that passage will get so misused and misabused. But I want you to understand the truth of it today. As we get to John 3 in verse number 16, the Bible says, For God so what? He what? He loved the world. He wasn't angry. He wasn't bitter at the world. He wasn't coming down to wreak judgment upon the world. He loved the world. Notice this. That He gave His only begotten Son. I'm going to tell you this. I've got two daughters and a son. Tonight, at about 6.30, I wish you all would pray for me. I have to go and meet with my middle daughter and some knucklehead that thinks he likes her. You may have to fast and pray over that one for me. She told me this morning, she said, Now, Dad, be nice to him. Yeah, not going to happen. I have three kids. Can I tell you this? I wouldn't give any one of them. I wouldn't give any one of them up to die for someone else. I, I can't understand that kind of love. I, I don't I don't grasp how much God loved me to be willing to take the only son that he had and send him to this earth to go through what he went through. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be what? Saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? He's condemned already. Because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. God didn't come to bring condemnation. We chose it. Freely, willingly, we chose condemnation. God came and He says, but I love them so much. Look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. Look in verse number 8. 
Let's back up to verse number 7. I, I, I think this portrays the same heart that I had just a moment ago as I said that about my children. He says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, the love of God. We sang a few moments ago at Calvary, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Look with me if you will in Romans chapter 8, just over a few pages. Same book, just go over a couple pages. Romans chapter 8. Look down to verse number 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Notice down in verse number 38, he says, For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I tell you this this morning? I think we can safely say on the authority of God's Word, there has been nobody in this entire universe that has loved you as much as God has loved you. And yet man looks and says, I don't, I don't want to have any part of Him. I, I, they, they feel that God is some meanie upstairs that's trying to uh, reign on their parade and wreck their life and cause them not to have any fun or pleasure or enjoyment. Can I tell you this? The greatest life there is to live is the life of a Christian. I'm not saying it's without its turmoil. But oh, there's such great joy. The Bible says, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath in store for them that love Him. Oh, the love of God that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. The great love that God loved us with caused Him to do something that I look at and I think that is unfathomable. How in the world could a man do that I mean, you might think that he could do it for someone that was his best friend, maybe somebody that he knew well and, and, and uh, was close to. But can I tell you this? He did this for those that didn't even care for him. He did this for those that had rebelled against him. He did this for those that had actually sinned against him, done him wrong. Look with me, if you will, Luke chapter number 22, and I want to show you what what the kind of love that God had for us brought about. This great love that God loved us with, the love that was spoken of in John chapter 3, verse number 16. The love that caused Him to send His only begotten Son to this earth to die on a cross. I want you to notice, as we get to Luke chapter number 22, if you will look with me in verse number 31. Jesus is at the end of His earthly ministry here. He has served alongside of His disciples 
for a little over three years. And he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that you may sift that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross of Calvary. He knows what's ahead. He has already told Peter at the Last Supper. He said, there's going to be one of you that is going to deny me. Peter said, is it I? Peter understands and knows. And can I tell you this, that Christ already knew that Peter was going to deny him. He already knew that in his moment of darkness, as he goes to the cross of Calvary, as he's beaten, as he's scorned, that the one that is nearest to him, Peter, one of the beloved disciples, was going to forsake him and deny him. And you know what Christ's response was? If I had been God right there, I would have said, I've been a friend to you, Peter. I have loved you, and you're going to deny me. You just go on. You, you go on your way. I have nothing more to do with you. But you know what God did? Knowing that Peter would deny him, Christ said, I have prayed for thee. You know, there's a Savior sitting in heaven today who knows that you and I are sinners. And he still says, I want you. I, I, I want you to spend eternity with me. I want to give you forgiveness of sin. I want to give you victory. And people have to make a choice. I'm either going to accept that love that God's given to me, and I'm going to trust what He's done for me at Calvary, or I'm going to forsake it. He's facing the cross. He's facing the weight of the sin of mankind. In just a few hours, He's going to be on the cross as His Father, seeing the sin laid upon Him, has to turn. He cannot even look upon His own Son. And yet, Jesus said, Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Can I tell you this this morning? God's desire for every one of us is that we come to know Him as our Savior. We come to Him and we say, Lord, I'm going to trust You to save me from my sin. That payment, that debt that I owe for the sin that I've committed that I cannot pay, I'm going to trust that Your payment for it is enough. I'm going to put my faith in it instead of what I can do. Notice what he says as we get down to verse number 39. And he came out and went as he wanted to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And he kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him, and being, notice this, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. 
And when he rose from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping. He said unto them, Why sleep ye rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation? Can I tell you the agony that our Savior felt before he ever went to Calvary? You say, Brother Greg, why would he do this? Because of the great love that he had for you. He looked down and he saw you. He saw you a lost, undone person. Someone that just didn't have to do anything was already headed to a place called hell. Our life already marked as a condemned man. We were on a spiritual death row, if you will. God looked down and saw that and said, There's no hope for him unless I do something about it. He came down to this earth and he took our punishment. He said, I'll do it. I'll be crucified. I'll pay the sin debt. That's the kind of love my God has. We live in a world that looks at God and thinks He's some mean person upstairs. Someone that's here to try to just wreck and ruin their life and make it no fun at all. Can I tell you this? He's a God that looks down and He sees a condemned man and He says, I want to save him. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 63, the same chapter. And the men that held Jesus mocked Him and smote Him, and when they had blindfolded Him, they struck Him on the face, and asked Him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against Him. Began to smite Him on the face. Began to beat on Him. Notice as we get down to verse chapter 23, just over a few few pages, one page. Look in verse number 26. <clears throat> They've tried several times now to get him released because they could find no fault in him. And the people cried out and said, give us Barabbas. We'd rather have a, a murderer and a thief than to have Christ. In verse number 26 of chapter 23. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon a Cyrenian coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. There followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which... They say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in a dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. The malefactors on the one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, now again, this is the kind of love he had for you. Peter he knew was going to deny him, and when he knew that he was going to deny him, he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Notice what he says in verse number thirty four. 
Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This great love of Christ came to this earth to pay a debt that I couldn't pay and to pay a debt that you couldn't pay. And at the moment that they're causing the pain and the agony and the suffering on him, the thought on his mind was, Father, forgive them. That's some, some kind of love. I, I don't understand it. Why would he love us that much? So we go on down, it says in the soldiers, verse number 36, mocked him, coming to him, and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is king of the Jews. One of the malefactors, which was hanging, hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost, thou not, uh, dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Folks, think about this for a moment. The God of heaven. The God who has need of nothing looked down and he saw a bunch of people who were condemned. He said, oh, I love them. I want to make a way that they can escape that condemnation. I want to make a way. Being a just God, the only way that he could do it was to pay the price. And so he sent his own son. He came to this earth. He was crucified on a cross. They buried him in verse number 50. And behold, there was a man named Joseph, a counselor. He was a good man and just. The same has, had not consented to the counsel and the deed of them. He was of Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who also himself waited for the kingdom of God. This man went unto Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in linen, laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation of the Sabbath, and the Sabbath drew on. The women also which came with him from Galilee followed after, and behold, the sepulcher, and how his body was laid. They returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, boy, you can imagine, can't you? I mean, he had given ideas to the disciples I may be cast down, but in three days, God will raise up this temple again. They're curious. In the first day of the week, the Bible says very early in the morning, they couldn't wait. They wanted to get to the sepulcher. Bringing spices they had prepared and certain others with them. And notice in verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living 
among the dead. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. They remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna the mother, uh, and Mary, the mother of James, and other women that were with him that told these things unto the disciples. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed not. Then arose Peter and ran to the sepulcher, stooping down. He beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Turn with me, if you will, now over to the book of John. We'll see one other account. John chapter number 20, just over to the right a few pages. John chapter number 20 and verse number 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse number uh, 11. John chapter 20, verse number 11. But Mary, this is after the first day of the week. So, But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said, thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus Saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself. Saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. And Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Can I tell you this? I'm thankful that even though Jesus Christ was crucified, I'm thankful He didn't stay in the grave. He went and was buried, the Bible says, and was in there for three days and three nights. During that time, He went to a place where Old Testament saints had gone and He preached to those that were in captivity. The Bible says at the end of three days, He led captivity captive. He brought them up out of that place. Those that had put their faith in Him in the Old Testament and looked forward to the coming of a of a Messiah that would pay the price for their sin. He brought them up, and on that third day, the the stone of the tomb was rolled back, and the Lord Jesus Christ came out of it. He gained victory over death and hell and the grave. The punishment, the penalty that you and I had had so long dreaded, He had now paid. And then He offers it to us. By the way, He doesn't force it on us but He offers it to us freely. Look with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. Verse number 8. Ephesians chapter number 2. I don't want anybody to miss this one. It's the most, one of the most important verses of Scripture I think there is in all of Scripture. He says this in verse number 8, Ephesians chapter 2. 
For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. Can I tell you this, that we are saved by putting our faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. You say, Brother Greg, what has He done? He's paid the price for us. He took the debt that we owed and He paid it off. My middle daughter has a car. When she bought it, she was 16 years old. She wasn't old enough for me to co-sign. So I had to buy the car in my name. She makes payments on it. She owes a little bit of money on it still. She's trying to get it paid down. But suppose that tomorrow I called the lending company and I said, How much does she owe on the car? It's a debt that she owes. To be honest with you, right now she can't pay it. And I said, Oh, I want to I go ahead and pay that car off for her. I'm going to go ahead and pay it off. I write the check and I send it to them electronically and the debt is paid. It's clear. Next month rolls around and Alyssa or Reagan calls the, the, the loan company and says, I need to make my monthly payment. They said, don't worry about it. It's already been paid for. And she says, I don't believe it. I'm going to pay it anyway. We would look at that and say, why didn't she believe it? She's sitting here trying to pay it herself, and it's already been paid for. We'd look at that and say, that's ridiculous. But can I tell you this morning that your debt has already been paid? And for us to sit here and say, I'm going to try to do it myself, that's ridiculous. We just simply need to say, I'm going to have faith that what the Lord Jesus Christ did for me is enough to cleanse me of my sin and save my soul from hell. And I'm going to put my faith in what He did. Not what I can do. I'm not going to put it in what church I belong to. Because I'll tell you this, you can belong to a lot of churches, it's not going to make you go to heaven. I'm not going to put it into my baptism. The Bible doesn't say that we have to be baptized to be saved. I'm not going to put it into my church membership or how many good works I do. That's not what I'm trusting. You want to ask me this morning how I know that I know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven? It's because I'm trusting Him. What He did on Calvary. I shared a while back the story of a man named George Wilson. George Wilson lived in the early 1800s and Back when mail was given, it was taken by the Pony Express and, and stagecoaches, he and another friend of his decided they were going to hold up the mail because they thought there was some money in it. They held the mail clerk up at gunpoint and stole the mail. They caught up to him and they arrested him and found him guilty of endangering a man's life in the course of a robbery. Because he endangered a man's life, the verdict back then, much steeper than it is today, they said, George Wilson, you are guilty and you are to hang by the neck until dead as a penalty for your crime. 
They put him in the prison awaiting his execution. At the time, Andrew Jackson was president of the United States. He heard about George Wilson. He thought, well, that's a little bit steep. I mean, the man obviously didn't die. Yeah, he created, uh, he, he stole, and he needs to pay a price for that. But hanging by the neck until he dies for something as small as stealing? Andrew Jackson, thinking that it was a little bit too steep of a penalty, wrote a presidential pardon for George Wilson. Signed it, Andrew Jackson. He put it in an envelope, sent it down to the prison where George Wilson was, and the warden of the prison took the pardon. He went to the cell where George Wilson was, and he says, Mr. Wilson, I have here a pardon from the President of the United States. You can go free. George Wilson said, I, I don't want it. He said, I, I did the crime. I deserve what I'm getting. I'll just take what, what's coming to me. By the way, a lot of people do that. They go through life. I'm a sinner. I'll just take what's coming to me. Oh, we don't know what we're saying. We have no idea what it's like to be an eternity in hell. George Wilson refused the pardon. The warden didn't know what to do with it. So he took it back to the state Supreme Court and said, what do I do? And the state Supreme Court said, I, we don't want to mess with it. It's, it's a federal matter. This comes straight from the president. So they sent it to the Supreme Court of the United States, the highest court in the land. The Supreme Court made a ruling that day that is still in existence today. You can go and look it up. And their ruling was this, that a pardon... No matter whose signature is on it, until it is received, it's just a piece of paper. And George Wilson went to the gallows and hung, having a presidential pardon. We sit here today, 100 years later, 150 years later, and we, our minds can't understand that. Why having a pardon so easily at his disposal, already taken care of, would he refuse it? And yet, that's what many men do. Because 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ wrote me a part. And He wrote you a part. You and I, that were already condemned. We're already there. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. He came to save us. And He wrote us a pardon on Calvary. And He says, if you'll believe... If you'll put your faith in me, if you'll trust me, I'll give you eternal life. I'll forgive you of the debt. So many people, that we share this wonderful, wonderful news of the gospel with. So many say, I don't want it. I'll take my punishment not knowing, not fully understanding what they're choosing. I've heard people say so often, I don't believe a God that loves would send anyone to hell. I agree with that. I don't think a loving God would send anyone to hell. I think a loving God would do everything He could to keep people out of hell. Even if it meant sending His only Son 
to take their punishment for them. And by the way, that's just what he did. If men go to hell now, they do it trampling through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. They do it consciously making a decision. Lord, even though you have given me a pardon, I don't want it. Oh, how foolish so many are to be able to make that kind of a choice. My prayer is today, if, if you're in that situation, you say, man, Pastor, I don't know. If I were to die right now, I've tried a lot of things. I, you know, I don't understand a lot of things. I've been going to church and trying this and trying that. Can we just do what the Bible says? The Bible says, And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We put our belief, our trust, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Not trusting anything else. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Right there in your seat. You say, Brother Greg, I don't know the words to pray. If you understand what you're doing, your heart will cry out and it'll know. Lord, I can't save myself. I've tried. And I've understood today exactly what you've done for me. That you died, you were buried, and you rose again to pay for my sin. And I'm going to put my faith in that. I'm going to trust you for my security, my, my eternal destination. And can I tell you this? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, I love this next word, shall. Not might, not maybe, but shall be saved. You can get that matter settled today. I'll tell you this, there's no greater joy than knowing at night when you lay your head on the pillow, I'm going to heaven. There's been a lot of craziness with all the coronavirus. A lot of craziness with what's going on in the world. I'll be honest with you, the world is more dangerous than it's been in a long, long time. I don't know when I leave my house if I'm going to make it back. It's so good to know that if something happens, I'm on my way to heaven. Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and we know that we're on our way to heaven, there's great peace. Great peace that comes from that. Great joy. And I would have to say this. A great family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. To be made a child of the King. Be able to be the Son of God. Be able to be a, a part of His family by adoption. Man, I'll tell you, there's great joy in that. As Christians, we can rejoice. And I hope we never forget the day we got saved. If you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I've, I've tried a lot of things. I've thought a lot of things. I'm, but today, I've understood the clarity of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And I just simply want to put my faith and trust in it. And what He's done for me. You can have that, that gift of eternal life. You can have that pardon that God wrote for you over 2,000 years ago. You can get that matter settled today.
Let's stand together, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot, but if anybody's heart has been stirred or moved or God has done something, perhaps you'd like to come to the altar and pray. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be glad to. Or you can sit there in your seat and pray if God's spoken to your heart. My challenge would be if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, that you would get that matter settled today. We're not given another day's guarantee. We could leave here this afternoon and never see another morning. Are we ready? If Christ were to come, if we were to lose our life today, would we be ready to meet our Savior? Would we be able to stand before Him as our King and as our Savior? Or would we have to stand before Him as our judge? Would you come this morning? We're going to pray and then the piano will play. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We pray that You'll bless it and use it. Father, we've done our very best today to express the great love that You have for us. Lord, I'm thankful that You loved us enough to do this because we would have been lost with no hope if You had not had a love for us to be willing to come and pay the price for our sin. There would not have been enough good that we could have done. There's not enough things that we could have done in our life to earn eternity in heaven. So, Father, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know You as Savior, that You would convict their heart, help them to understand and to know, help the Holy Spirit to guide and to direct in their life, that they would put their faith in You today. They would quit trusting the, the good works, or the church that they go to, the life that they live, they would simply trust You, put faith in what You have done, that You've paid the penalty for them, you've paid the, you've paid the debt for them. For Christians, may we rejoice today in what You have done. May our hearts be stirred afresh and anew. May we leave here rejoicing once again. Our hearts being full to overflowing with gratitude and understanding what You have done for us. May You encourage us. Bless the invitation and use it as You would see fit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We're not going to pressure anybody. We don't want to embarrass anybody. But if God has spoken to your heart, perhaps you'd like to make a decision for Him today. And I'm going to have the piano just play through a verse or two of an invitation song.